as we look in John 6, Lord, remind us again that it is faith, it is trust in you that you're looking for. In Jesus' name, amen. Stan had mentioned, I think, in Sunday school about uh, when we feel anxious, that's because we're trying to pull something off instead of allowing God to take care of it. Uh, that was a great reminder. We're doing a, a room addition, a significant project at our house, and I keep trying to remind myself when I start to feel anxious, I need to say, no, Lord, I'm going to let you take care of those things. And I remember in praying about this in the early stages, we broke ground a month ago, uh, I remember reading, uh, and I can't even tell you the text now, but anyway, it was the verse that says, God says, um, I will, uh, sorry guys, I will take care of that which, uh, yes, concerns you. I can't even quote it now, totally out of my mind. But anyway, I'll take care of that which concerns you. It's like, Lord, I can hang my hat on that one. I can live with that one. We are in John 6 this morning. We're only looking at two verses John 6, verses 28 and 29. I I will read verses 26 and 27 before them just to get the ball rolling. But you remember, this is up around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus fed the 5,000, walked on the water, caught up with his boys there on the lake in the storm. Peter got out and walked with them for a little bit on the waters. Came across to Capernaum. The crowds follow. Remember, they're seeking their next meal. And it's in that conversation that we're, we're landing this morning. John 6, 26 through 29. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal." This is what we emphasized last time. Don't work for food which perishes. Work for food that lasts to eternal life. They said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's two issues here in verses 28 and 29. I'm going to focus on the first. The two issues are God's work, Jesus says, is faith. God's work, Jesus says here, is faith. The second point is, which we won't spend much time at all in, is that the faith must be in Christ, that the faith is in Jesus. If you remember before we read this passage where it says, on him God has set his seal... On Jesus, God has set his seal. The miracles he performed were evidence that God said, this is my man, listen to him. He bears my authority. If we neglect Jesus, we do it to our peril. It's not just that we have faith, it's that we have faith in Christ. So, the Jews are following Jesus. And you remember we talked about this. They had a cheap meal the day before. This was a miracle, no small thing. Jesus fed, it could have been 10 to 20,000 people here, right? With a little boy's meal. But it was a cheap meal. It was a little barley bread. This is the cheap bread. This is like our day-old bread, so to speak. This isn't the wonder bread. And they had a few salted fish. This was not McDonald's hamburgers. It was a cheap meal, but Jesus fed them. And he says, you're following me because I fed you this cheap meal. Miracle, yes. 
Best meal they ever had? No. no. Let's sustain them. And he says, don't work. This was the emphasis last time. Don't be working so hard. Don't make this your goal, just one more meal. I've got more for you, bread that lasts forever. He's going to tell us again that's himself. And they say to him, their response is, okay. So we're not supposed to work for this bread. Then you tell us, what does God's work for us look like? What does the work God has for us look like? And this is what Jesus says. This is the work of God that you believe. So to the question, what is the work God gives for us? Jesus is in essence saying, no work at all. God's job for you, and remember the context here, this is primarily salvation. We're going to expand on that a little bit. But Jesus says, work for the bread that lasts to eternal life. He's talking about, he's raising their view from a meal on earth to eternal life. We talked about this last time. Don't be so concerned about your next meal as eternal life, the bread that lasts forever. And he's going to say here in John 6, I am the bread of life. How do we get it, Jesus? What's this bread? He is. I am the bread of life, he'll say later. But in the context of work, Jesus, what do you mean? Don't do this kind of work? Okay, well then what kind of work do we do towards eternal life? He says your work is no work at all. The work God calls you to for eternal life is faith or belief or trust, but it is not work. It is not work in any way that we typically think of work. Someone has said of religion that religion is man's attempt to get to God. That has nothing to do with salvation or Jesus Christ, though. Religion is man's work, man's attempt to be reconciled to God. Faith is God's reaching out to man, and that is true, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. God's work for us related to salvation is no work at all. No work at all. God's call to us is simply to believe. Faith, faith is the work God gives to man. Faith is the work that God gives to man. Back to what Stan said earlier when he prayed. When I'm feeling anxious, do you know why? you know why I feel anxious? Because I'm trying to pull something off. I'm trying to work at something and make something happen. This is not faith. And don't misunderstand me. The primary context here is salvation. For those who know Christ, God has work for us to do. And we'll talk about that here in a minute too. It doesn't mean that we don't ever work. But in the context of salvation, we have no work to do whatsoever other than receiving. And we receive through faith. Through belief, Jesus says, this is the work, believe, believe. The question kind of comes up, and as you talk about Christ or heaven and hell or eternal salvation or whatever with people as you go through life, and I'm sure you've all experienced this already, this always comes up. What do you mean I don't have to do anything? What do you mean you just believe? It's, it can't be that easy. Jesus is addressing that issue. Why is faith the issue? Why is believing or acceptance the issue? Why does God make this the issue and the only issue? 
Why is faith or belief so important? And let's start at the beginning here. Let me ask, let me frame it this way. Uh, let me read a few passages, and then you tell me why faith, belief is the key. Listen to this. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not even one. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2.1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay? None righteous. The wages of sin is death. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. If you and I are not seeking God, spiritually dead, and the wage, the bounty we've got on our head is death, what in the world can you and I bring to God in our own defense or in relationship to any declaration of righteousness? Are you with me here? If you and I are spiritually dead, cut off from God, what can we bring to God in our own defense? Nothing. We can bring to Christ, related to salvation, absolutely nothing. Do you remember in John 3, you and I all stand before the judge of heaven in what position? Condemned. We're all condemned. We all sin. The wages of sin is death. We're spiritually dead. So what does this spiritual, those who are spiritually dead, what can they bring to God? Those who have the sentence of death on them, what can they bring to God other than their bodies for the sentence to be carried out on? Do you see what I'm saying? You and I have absolutely nothing to bring to Christ or to the Father in relation to salvation. We are spiritually dead, condemned to death with a price on our head, not seeking God. We can bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to bring except our guilt, our sin, our shame. That's what we bring to this equation. God requires nothing because we can bring nothing. I love these two passages in Isaiah, one's 59 and one's 50, I don't know, two or three. It says God looks down from heaven. And he's kind of looking for somebody to stand up for man and defend him, save him. And he says he's astonished that there's no one there to do it. So it says, so he comes down. He takes it on himself to do. That's the picture. We can bring nothing to the table because we have nothing to bring. Faith, belief, is trust or acceptance in what Jesus brings to us. This is not religion. This is the difference between man's religion and faith. In religion, we work for salvation. Christianity is God gives us salvation. We have nothing to bring to the table. Also, think about this, too. Back in the Garden of Eden, if Eve had believed God's word, where would you and I be? We'd be in Eden. We'd be in paradise today. Right? Now, the act of sin was that she picked the apple and ate the apple, the fruit of the tree. She picked it and ate, right? That's what she did. Why did she do that, though? This was a faith issue. We fell not simply because of an act of disobedience. We fell, mankind fell, because Eve believed Satan, not God. You remember what God had said, if you eat the fruit from this tree, you will die. 
And Satan says, no, you won't die. You'll live and you'll be smart. You'll be like God. You'll, you'll have wisdom. So Eve did not believe God. She believed Satan. She believed the lie instead. And what she believed produced her action, which was to take the fruit and eat. Faith always determines our actions. What we believe always determines what we do. Absolutely. Can't be otherwise. If Eve had exercised faith, if she had trusted God's word in the garden, you and I would be there today. We didn't fall. Mankind wasn't uh, cast into sin because of an act only. The act of disobedience followed what she believed. She believed Satan instead of God. She failed to believe God's word was true. So she acted on what she now understood, believed to be true, and she sinned. Inherently, our relationship with God always goes back to this thing of do we trust God, do we believe God? And this was true in the garden. Mankind fell into sin, not because of fruit on a tree, but because of a failure to believe God. The failure was in not believing God. Related to salvation, um, if you look in the scriptures in the New Testament and say, what do we have to do to be saved? And remember, that's the primary context of John 6 here. It's bread that lasts forever, bread that takes you into eternal life. Listen to just a few verses, most by Paul, one by John, that God says as clearly as can be said about what he requires for salvation. What kind of work does God require for salvation? Romans 1, 5, Paul talks about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. The obedience almost sounds like work, the work that is faith. The obedience that is belief, faith. Romans 3.28, Paul says, We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul says the same thing here. Man is justified, declared righteous in God's standing by faith, not by works. Galatians 2.16, he says, We know that a man, any person, is not justified, that's declared righteous in God's sight, by the works of the law, by anything we do, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, perhaps the best known in this category. By grace you have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. We didn't do anything to get it. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. God's grace through faith. And then 1 John 5, 13, John writes, To you who believe in the name, you believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Around the issue of salvation, God makes it abundantly clear in John's Gospel and throughout the New Testament. If we're talking about salvation, all God requires is faith, its belief, its trust or acceptance. And he does so for at least a couple reasons, because we have nothing else to bring to the equation. We're dead in trespass and sin. And because faith or belief was all God was ever after in the first place. 
in the garden. The only test for Adam and Eve was this. Would they believe God's word about that tree? Would they believe one thing God had said was true? There was only one test, and the test was, do you believe me? Do you believe a God who cannot lie? Do you believe a God who's fashioned this universe and this world and this great, excuse me, this great garden that you live in? Do you believe me? Or will you believe this serpent, this deceiver? That was the test. The test was always one of faith. Now, faith in the context of John 6 is faith-related salvation. What do we do to work the works of God? What do we do to get that bread that lasts forever? Well, you believe. But for those of us who have believed in Christ, we've eaten the bread of life, Jesus. We've received the person of Jesus. Faith becomes the way, the manner in which we are supposed to live out each and every day of our life. Faith is supposed to be the ruling order of our life. Faith in God, trust in God, in what he said and what he's done. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He quotes an Old Testament text here. He says, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul, when he describes his life, not not related to salvation now, but life post-salvation, he says our life is characterized by faith, not by what we see. In other words, every day we're hanging our hat, we're depending on what God has said to be true. We're acting on that. We're, We're living our lives according to God's word, We're declaring that it's true, and so we act, we behave accordingly. We walk, we live by faith, daily, day after day. That's our attitude towards life. We're trusting God. Faith is the criteria, not only by which we come to Christ, but it's supposed to be the hallmark of every Christian's life, that I trust God I trust Christ, and I trust what he said to be true. And then I act accordingly. Remember, Eve believed Satan, and that's why she took an ate. If you and I actually believe God and his word, you know what we do? We obey him. We do the things he says because we believe what he says is true. We believe it's worth it. When God points out his heroes, when he says, these are the guys, look at these guys as examples for your life. He does that in Hebrews 11, and he just goes through a list. And listen to the key phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Let me just give you a few examples. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, an acceptable sacrifice. We don't know all the issues. If you read the Genesis story, there's differences of opinion about uh, Cain offered what he grew, fruit and vegetables. Abel offered what he shepherded, a lamb. Did, Did Abel know that it had to be a blood sacrifice? Did Cain know and he didn't? We don't know all that. The text doesn't make it clear, but this is what we know. What Abel offered, he offered because he trusted or believed God and his word. That was the difference. Whatever it was in the story, that was the difference in what they did. 
God tells us the difference. Faith was the difference. Whether or not it was an animal sacrifice or vegetables, we don't know. But faith was the difference, God says here. Abel offered a sacrifice in faith, believed God, acted accordingly. Uh, Hebrews 11:7. by faith Noah prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Guys, remember this again. Noah's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no sea around. There's no ocean. And God says build a boat because the rain's coming. Now, if Noah does not believe God, Noah does not build a boat. If Noah believes God, he builds the boat. And God says, by faith, Noah built a boat. And just think about this for just a second. He probably labored at this boat for about 120 years. 120 years. Every day he got up, maybe there's no clouds and there's no rain. And he, and he builds on the boat. And he gets up the next day and he does it again. And the, the next day, the next day, and the next year, and the next decade. You see what I'm saying? He was characterized by faith. Not just when the boat was finished. He labored on it every day because every day he believed what God had said was true. It's going to rain. God will keep his word. He will judge the world through rain, through a flood. And I've got a boat to build. He demonstrated his faith every day of his life. Every peg he pounded, every board he milled or whatever. It was a demonstration that he believed God's word was true. And that's why he's in God's hall of fame here. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. He believed what God said, and so he built the ark that God told him to. Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. Think about Abraham for a moment. Abraham does not know where he's going. Now, you know, if I told you tomorrow, I've sold my house, I've packed the moving van, and you say, Mike, that's great, where are you going? And I say, I have no idea. I just know that God's going to get me there and he'll show me the way. You would probably think I'd lost my senses. Yeah, Tanisha says, yep, Mr. Halpin, you have. That's right. And for most of us, that would be the truth. That would be the case. The truth was, Abraham knew God had spoken. He knew God had spoken. He believed what God had said was true. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And I don't want you here. I want you over someplace else. So Abraham believes what God has said is true, and he starts walking. And he lives the rest of his life a pilgrim in the land God promised him. He believed God's word was true, and so he put his shoes on. And started walking. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. By faith, Sarah herself conceived. By the way, let me say something here, too. You guys know if you read the stories in Genesis, does this sound like Sarah had much faith to you? What did she do when the angel of the Lord, I understand that's the Lord Jesus Christ, 
says, when I come back next year, this time Sarah will have a child. What does she do? She laughs. Abraham, the father of faith, when God says, I'm going to give no Sarah, your wife, a son, what does he do? Lord bless Ishmael. Are you with me here? What I'm getting at, guys, is this. God gives extra credit, so to speak. Uh, They had faith, but their faith was not perfect. It was inconsistent. But still, when God's marking up the pages at the end of the day, he says, Sarah believed enough. And Abraham believed too. Their faith was not perfect. And yours and mine doesn't have to be either. It's not going to be. When you feel those anxiety pangs, that's lack of faith. I would argue it's, it's lack of faith. I'm not entrusting myself to God. I'm not counting on him to accomplish what concerns me. And therefore, I'm at peace and rest. Our faith is not perfect. But what are we characterized by? What are you characterized by? Are you characterized by peace? Pretty good evidence of faith. Are you characterized by obeying God's word? Good evidence of faith. See, you and I, we don't have to do it perfect to be counted up there with Abraham and Sarah because theirs wasn't perfect either. But it was genuine and it was real and it shaped and guided their life. That's the deal. and That's why they're here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. I love this one because listen to this. Verse 19, he can, Isaac's the promised child, right? If he slays the promised child, he has no descendants. Isaac is, God has told him, the link to the children as numerous as the stars and the sand. Isaac is it, not Ishmael, and he knows this. And you can imagine the thought process, if I kill Isaac, the promise is over. But Abraham considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. I think Abraham said something like this to himself or to God. I know Isaac's the promised child. If I kill him, it doesn't look like God can keep his promise, but I believe that God will raise him from the dead if that's what he needs to do to keep his promise. So he offers him. This was a biggie. Took his son, his only son, whom he loved. Even though he had more than one son, he says Isaac's his only son. And raises the knife, puts him on the altar. We've talked about this before, ready to slay him. Because he believed God's word was true. And that since God had made the promise through Isaac, even if Abraham slew him in obedience to God, God would raise him from the dead in order to keep the promise. When you and I struggle with, Lord, are you really going to do something? What a great passage to remember. Abraham said to himself, God will raise the dead to keep his promise. So when you and I are hanging our hats on some promise of God, you're in good company. Say with Abraham, God, I know you'll raise the dead if that's what it takes to keep your promise. And of course, that is what he did. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that picture. God raised him from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the Exodus. Do you remember this? This is not a big deal, I mean, in some ways. 
Joseph knew that God had told his granddaddy, Abraham, your descendants are going to be in Egypt for 400 or 430 years, and then I'll bring them back. This probably didn't sound like a big deal at the time, but Joseph knew the promise had been made. And so Joseph says, guys, later on, 400 years from now, just think about this. 400 years after I'm dead and gone, take my bones back with you, because you'll be going. Because God has made a promise to my granddad Abraham, and he'll keep it. And then if you remember the story of the Exodus, what do they do? They collect the the bones of Joseph, and he goes back. This is no small thing. No small thing. He was betting his life and his bones on a promise made a couple generations prior that wouldn't be fulfilled for three or four hundred years. But he said it's as good as done, so when you go back, take me with you. I love this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and associates himself with Israel instead because he believed God. He had everything to lose through faith. Everything in this world to lose through believing God and going with his people, the Jews. Because he was in the palace. He had all the wealth of Egypt. He could do anything he wanted, have anything he wanted. And he turned his back on it because he believed God's word and God was better. It says counting the, how does it go? The uh, shame of Christ, greater riches than the wealth of Egypt or something like that. And then uh, not to be... uh, To wrap up here, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Remember, they walked through walls of water, trusting that God would keep them up because he wanted them through. They walked through walls of water. This says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. You remember, they're supposed to be conquering a city. And God says, I don't want you to shoot an arrow. I don't want you to make a war cry. All I want you to do is walk around the city. Now, you know, they could have said, Lord, I feel a little stupid. I feel a little foolish. I feel a little embarrassed. They believed what he said, and so they obeyed, and they acted in accord with what he commanded, and the walls did fall down. And there was no work on their part. It was a walk around the city. And God caused the walls to fall down. So he says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish. And think about this. What a great picture. Uh, Rahab knows Israel's coming, and so does everyone else in Jericho. Rahab believes that the God of Israel is God, and so she, she hides those spies, and she asks for deliverance because she knows the God of Israel is God. And she knows Jericho's going the way of the guys across the river. So she hangs her hat, She's in a fortified city. She's in a well-defended city. She could say, hey, I'm taking my chances. I'm going to trust with what I can see, what my eyes can see. But she'd heard the stories about Israel, and she said, I believe Israel's God is God. And in fact, uh, it says you've, you've sought shelter. And later it'll say of Ruth, you've sought the shelter under the wings of the God of Israel. By faith, Rahab the harlot and her family did not perish. 
closes by saying, By faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. We know that one. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. These, these stories are someone else's stories. These are the stories of others who've lived before us. But guys, this, the fact is that the story is supposed to continue. So that as God's writing down your story and mine in heaven today, is he writing these kinds of things down? Are we believing the things he said are true? And are we hanging our hat on them? We are saved by faith. And then with Habakkuk and Romans, we are called to live by faith. Faith is what brings us into God's family, and faith is supposed to be what characterizes our relationship with God in this world. The day is coming when faith will be no more. Remember, faith is a temporary item. You only need faith when you do not have what's been promised or you cannot see what has been promised. This is the day of faith. It's going, the sun's going to set on this day, though. Malachi 4, when Christ arises with healings in, healing in his wings, the son of righteousness, then we'll see him face to face, and the day of faith will be over. But for now, to those folks that say to Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work, guys. Believe. Just believe. That's how we come into the kingdom, and it's how our lives are supposed to be characterized once we've come into relationship with Christ. Faith is the coin of heaven. If you want to spend something, it's faith. Faith is the work of heaven. And by the way, along this line, God can accomplish all his work on earth and in heaven without you or I. I think an omnipotent God can do what he wants, don't you? A God who has all power, he can probably do whatever he wants. He does not need you or I to do anything. And the work that he calls us to do is always faith. Faith first, then we obey. We're not working hard so that God can get his things done. We're pleased that God uses us as part of the process to accomplish his will on earth, but he doesn't need the likes of you and I. He's perfectly capable on his own to do anything that he wants done. It's his condescension that includes us in his plans. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us anyway. We enter salvation, we receive the bread of life by faith, and we're called to walk by faith. I wonder sometimes how shallow our lives are, how shallow lives do we live based on our faith or our belief in God and his word? How shallow are we living? Would other people that we interact with about the gospel or Christ understand that the overriding issue is always and only faith? Belief in Christ, would they understand that from what we communicate to them? And are we working the work of God, believing, faith, or are we bringing our paltry efforts, and I mean our self-made efforts, to God? What must we do to work the works of God, they say. And Jesus says there's one thing. 
just one, believe. 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 This is how we come to Christ. It's how we walk. If we're not walking by faith, we're not doing it. We're not doing the work of God if it's not faith. God's work for you and I today is to believe and then to follow. Believe and follow. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that you make this so simple. Father, that you've done all the work that there is to be done already on our behalf related to salvation, and you invite us to receive it. You invite us to receive it by faith or by belief. And Lord, omnipotent ruler of the universe, you could affect every change, accomplish every purpose of yours without any help from us, certainly, and yet you're so condescending that you include us in your plan and in your will. Father, help us to proceed only and always by faith. Help us to rest in you, in your goodwill, in your providence, in your power. And Lord, out of faith and out of rest, help us then to obey the things you give each of us to do. Thanks that we can be participators in what you're doing on the earth. But Lord, we thank you that your will is not dependent on frail mortals like us with imperfect, sometimes shadowy faith. Lord, we hang our hat on the Lord Jesus Christ. We declare that he is our praise and our glory. And we humbly and thankfully say that we believe in him. Our faith is in him. Lord, thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.